Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our video cast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Okay, hello, this is Dr. Brad Withers. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about uh, the use of buprenorphine, naloxone, also known as suboxone to most of us, and whether or not it should be continued perioperatively. Uh, it seems like that in the past this has been a point of contention. It's something that I wasn't aware of up until recently, whether the best practice is to continue or to stop. So hopefully we'll go through a little bit of background and um, kind of get into what the current recommendations are at the end. So uh, just to lay some some groundwork, uh, what is buprenorphine and, and naloxone? So buprenorphine uh, usually comes as a sublingual film or tablet. It can also be an injectable. Uh, it is a partial mu agonist, K and delta antagonist. Uh, it's 30 times as potent as morphine. Uh, and the interesting thing about it is that it occupies about uh, 10% of the receptors. Uh, it has a long half-life. Uh, it is, has a very high affinity to the mu receptor. Uh, and it has low activity and slow dissociation from the mu receptors. So this is what makes it good for combating addiction. Uh, it has less abuse potential and risk of respiratory depression than other opioids. Now, the naloxone component uh, is, as you know, a competitive antagonist at mu, kappa, and delta. It has the greatest affinity for mu, however, and it's added to buprenorphine to prevent abuse uh, by parenteral means. So it keeps people from being able to inject. Uh, if they melt the film and inject it, uh, they withdraw. And so it, it's used as a deterrent. But whenever it's taken appropriately, uh, interally, uh, the suboxone, uh, excuse me, the naloxone portion uh, is degraded and they continue to get the effect of the buprenorphine. So in addition to opioid use disorder and uh, addiction, what other things can, can buprenorphine treat? Well, uh, it can be used to treat what we call resistant treatment depression. So if they felt all of their treatments, sometimes it can be prescribed uh, to help with uh, depression symptoms. Uh, it can acutely uh, treat opioid-induced hyperalgesia. And an interesting one that I found that's off-label use is uh, it can also be used to treat chronic pain, uh, either as a transdermal patch or uh, by film. So what's a standard dose? Of medicine, so the maintenance dose of suboxone is anywhere between eight and sixteen milligrams once a day, um, and at this dose, mu receptor uh, binding is somewhere between nine, uh, seventy-nine and ninety-five percent uh, at that full dose, sixteen milligrams. So pretty much all of those mu receptors are going to be um, flooded with buprenorphine uh, at a maintenance dose. So how do we need to manage these people perioperatively? Well, <clears throat> if a patient's on suboxone therapy, you know you have to know a few things. One, uh, its, effectiveness, its effectiveness at treating opioid abuse makes treating patients acute pain after surgery challenging due to high receptor binding affinity, long half-life, partial antagonism. All of those things make it hard 
to treat acute pain. And this is why oftentimes these patients will need higher doses of opioids as well as multimodal analgesia uh, to get the same effect as someone who's opioid naive would get uh, after surgery. <clears throat> so we know we need a higher opioid requirement, um, but unfortunately there are really only a few studies uh, and some case reports out there uh, that are talking about this, and there's really no good perspective data. Most everything is, is retrospective at this point. Um, in years past, it was previously thought that discontinuing uh, Suboxone prior to surgery would free up the receptor, so people would stop uh, the buprenorphine roughly 72 hours prior to surgery um, and in the hopes that we would be better able to treat their acute pain with our traditional opioids uh, in the PACU. So there was a, a study that came out by Cornfield and Manfredi uh, that reported good pain control uh, in only a small number of patients, I think five patients, uh, who were maintained on therapy uh, and given additional opioids for breakthrough pain. Um, so, you know, they, they looked at whether or not these, these patients who were maintained on Suboxone had a higher uh, morphine equivalent dose uh, in the first 24 hours after surgery. And what they found uh, in a total of 22 patients, half maintained on Suboxone, uh, the other half that were held, uh, found that uh, the morphine equivalent dose in the group that uh, had their Suboxone dose held was 246 milligrams in the first 24 hours, uh, and actually the morphine equivalent dose in the group that was continued on their current therapy was 155 milligrams. So it would seem that in this uh, small study, continuing suboxone therapy uh, throughout the perioperative course was beneficial in decreasing uh, the narcotic requirement perioperatively. So more recently, uh, the... Um, Societies of Addiction Medicine and, and even uh, Pain Medicine have come out with consensus guidelines uh, that recommend continuation, and some of those based off this study and, and others. So to give you some of the current recommendations, um, right now they say if time permits that a specialist should be involved, someone who is trained in addiction medicine or chronic pain uh, should handle the transition uh, of therapy uh, in the perioperative period and make the ultimate decision whether or not, you know, it's best for the patient to either continue or halt uh, their maintenance dose because each patient and each circumstance is different, obviously. Um, they also recommend that discontinuation of therapy perioperatively uh, can worsen psychosocial issues and precipitate relapse of uh, drug addiction, opioid use disorder, uh, you know, they say it's a highly stressful, highly emotional time, and patients sometimes have issues coping and, and can revert back to opioid use, uh, illegal opioid use. Uh, the University of Michigan Health Systems actually developed a protocol, which uh, I would recommend you go online and take a look at, that was devised uh, due to the very limited data that's out there. And they actually came up with a pretty good flow chart um, of how they like to proceed uh, in patients who are on suboxone therapy. And, you know, the, the big thing is, you know, whether or not the case is elective. It's an, if it's an elective case and you have time to consult your colleagues in addiction medicine or chronic pain, you should do that. 
It also depends on the surgery type. If you're expected to have minimal pain or moderate to severe pain, it's going to make a difference. So, uh, you know, ultimately they recommend, in most all cases, continuing therapy uh, and giving additional opioids on top of that uh, to treat the patient's pain. Um, the American Pain Society, ASRA, and the ASA Committee on Regional Anesthesia also put out some recommendations uh, in the last few years. So well, they recommend that uh, perioperatively uh, you should educate the patient. So expectations, set realistic goals, and make the patient part of the treatment plan. So, you know, the big thing is to, to talk to them up front. You know, say, look, this history uh puts you at a higher risk for making it more difficult to treat your pain uh, postoperatively. We'll do everything that we need to to do that, but you need to go on, you know, to the situation knowing that, set that expectation, set goals, uh, and make them aware of what to expect. They also uh, obviously recommend the use of a validated pain assessment tool. Uh, which obviously most of you know we you know we use that on a regular basis here. Uh, we use the you know the grading scale one to ten. Um, they recommend multimodal analgesia, uh, either uh, NSAIDs, Tylenol. Uh, in years past, you know gabapentin had been recommended as uh, multimodal analgesic. However, recently uh, it's been uh, found to be no longer efficacious or safe in the post-operative period as an adjunct for acute pain treatment. We also have ketamine. Uh, you know, we have, uh, it's an NMDA agonist, uh, and methadone could also be used, even though it does come with a higher risk profile. And we also have the alpha-2 agonists like clonidine that we can use to help with, uh, with pain. Uh, they recommend non-pharmacological therapy, including TENS units and early physical therapy. And ultimately, especially the ASRA guidelines, recommend the, the use of regional and neuraxial anesthesia in these patients. Uh, and I mean, across all patients, we know that it's, uh, you know, wildly beneficial, but in these patients especially so. And, uh, you know, at the end of the road, we have patient-controlled analgesia. So give the patient the opportunity to, you know, kind of take, take some charge of their, you know, their pain management. Uh, and uh, the, the IVPCA has been proven in several studies to, uh, to help with outcomes of acute pain. They also obviously recommend continuous monitoring when high-dose opioid therapy is required. Um, they didn't really give what they consider to be a cutoff for high-dose opioid therapy, but, you know, I think it's pretty reasonable that we can assume what most of us would consider high dose. Um, and the, the one thing that they really pointed to that I hadn't really given much thought to is the, uh, the post-operative support that the patient has or will need to have. So, you know, do they have a support system in place? Do they have family? Uh, and most importantly, do they have a buprenorphine provider that they can get back into in a timely manner? to kind of help them transition back into uh, their normal maintenance dosing regimen. Uh, just this past year, in 2020, uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine updated their national practice guidelines. And uh, just a, a few points that I'd like to discuss uh, here at the close of this. 
Uh, one, uh, patients receiving buprenorphine for opioid use disorder who have acute pain uh, that's uh, refractory to other treatments and require additional opioid analgesia may benefit from the addition of as-needed doses of buprenorphine. So they can actually use additional doses of buprenorphine as needed to treat their, their acute pain. Uh, additionally, the use of a short-acting full agonist uh, to the patient's regular buprenorphine dose can be effective in the management of acute pain during hospitalizations. Uh, and as we discussed earlier, it can be anticipated to be much higher than the typical dose necessary to achieve uh, analgesia in opioid-naive patients. Uh, but there's no consensus on its safety in the, ambulatory in the ambulatory setting due to the lack of evidence in that setting. It seems like it would be unreasonable to uh, administer very high doses of narcotics in that setting just because, you know, you don't have the perioperative support that you would have like we would have in the main hospital when compared to the ambulatory center. Uh, they also recommend discontinuation of buprenorphine uh, before surgery not being required at all. Uh, so they take a hard stance on it does not uh, need to be stopped. Every patient should continue their, their dose. Um, they recommend a team-based approach and decision-making. So they like to have anesthesia on board. They like to have surgery, um, potentially social work. Uh, they recommend, obviously, getting the, an addiction medicine specialist or even if the, the patient has a, uh, an addiction medicine specialist that they already see, getting that uh, specialist involved in the patient's perioperative care as well. Um, and if, for whatever reason, the team consensus or uh, the anesthesiologist or the surgeon, you know, decides that it's in the patient's best interest to discontinue their buprenorphine, uh, they don't recommend the 72-hour approach, which was previously thought uh, to be the most beneficial. They recommend just um, doing it, the, stopping it the day before surgery and resuming it as soon as possible. Um, so that's pretty much it on the, um, the perioperative use of, of Suboxone and um, you know, I think the, the big takeaway message is that there's really no reason to stop. A recommendation is to continue the day of surgery and throughout. Um, let those patients get their maintenance dose and just give additional opioids on top of that uh, to uh, titrate to effect, basically. You know, these are the kind of patients, if, if they need more, give them more. Uh, do it safely and do it in a monitored setting if needed. Um, Remember that your big friends for these patients are going to be multimodal analgesics, uh, non-traditional uh, pain medicines like ketamine, uh, even methadone uh, is, is in some of these papers recommended, which I think, uh, you know, at least in the acute setting may, may have a, a risk that outweighs the benefit, uh, but, but that is one that's that's considered, um, and also uh, our traditional NSAIDs, Tylenol, uh, you know, all the things that we would normally do anyway to decrease the narcotic requirement of our patients, we should continue to use in these people. Um, and I think importantly, it's good to, like we said before, set goals, set expectations, and make sure they have a support system in place when they leave the hospital to ensure that they don't have a relapse.
because the patient goes home, uh, you know, with an acute pain crisis that hasn't been well treated, you know, they may very, very, very well may um, go and, and um, you know, relapse into their opioid use disorder. So that's all I've got. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, obviously reach out. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.